Well, here's my first question. Do you think it's a little dangerous handing out guns in a bank? Did you know that in America you can buy a gun at a bank? Hello, you're listening to Michael and Us, a depressing, nostalgic journey through the life and art of Michael Moore. My name is Will Sloan, and I'm here today with... Luke Savage. Luke, who are we? Why are we doing this? Who are you, first of all? What are your credentials to be talking about this topic? (laughs) I'm someone who was raised on uh, the cinema of Michael Moore, I suppose. Uh, Fahrenheit 9-11 was, uh, at the time, a pretty big movie for me. Um, You know, I think like a lot of people of our generation, you know, his films were kind of formative. Like, we went to see Fahrenheit 9-11, and it was like... Wow, you know, Bush lied, you know. I think, you know, as the years have worn on, we've kind of watched uh, his films with kind of increasing, like, irony and weariness um, and uh, culminating in our desire to do this podcast, which I think is going to be fun. And you, you're, uh, you're, I would say, to the left of the political spectrum. That would be accurate, yeah. What have you done in that sphere that qualifies you for the task of like, <laughs> the, going over the films the of Michael Sisyphean Moore? Sisyphean task of talking <laughs> Michael Moore. Um, well, I, I've written for uh, Jacobin Magazine. In fact, I recently wrote a review of Michael Moore's latest film for, for them. Um, Which I was hoping you might like spark an online feud with Michael Moore. Because yeah, he looks like both. the kind of guy to take the bait. He looks like the kind of guy who might like search for his name on Twitter and just see what <laughs> come up. He'd have a Google alert set up for his name. Unfortunately, that didn't happen. Um, uh, so the best I got were some like... Uh, Michael Moore fans being like, uh, you know, I'm sorry this wasn't like a perfect Marxist analysis of history or whatever, um, which was uh, kind of missing the point of my uh, of my review. But uh, that actually kind of baffles me that there are still like hardcore Michael Moore fans. Mm-hmm. It was a real it was a real blast from the past. Let me <laughs> tell you. Yeah, so you know, I'm someone who really has my head in in um, politics and especially U.S. politics these days. And so I think one of the things you know it'd be fair to say that motivated us to do this is uh, the fact that we're in the midst of another presidential election now. And uh, you know, American politics has changed a lot since uh, the film we watched this week, you know, was was filmed and and uh, and debuted. So um, I think this is going to be a podcast kind of about you know, our journey with Michael Moore. Yeah, well I mean, as... I, I'm here for the laughs. I, ju- I just want to... <laughs> well, you and me both. I just want to joke about, you know, somebody who I used to care about <laughs> and who I don't think has lived up to his potential. <laughs> I, I mean, you know, unlike you, you've you've run for public office. You've written yep. serious articles about politics. I'm, I'm like, I'm Joe Sixpack. You know, I'm just kind of a, a regular guy who, you know, calls it like I see it and, uh, I may not know, you know, all the all the fancy words. I may not know all the nuances, but but uh, but I know what's right. So well, Michael Moore's the guy for you then. I would say that Michael Moore, and you probably feel the same way. Michael Moore is one of those people who, when I was a teenager, really. Uh, Oh, this is like so embarrassing to say now, but really opened my eyes to the issues. I mean, did you read Stupid White Men back in the day? I skimmed it. It was big in high school. I remember. Oh God, it. yeah. That was. I mean, I saw the his Michael Moore's movie, the big one, when I was a kid. Uh, and oh God, I, we're gonna have to watch that, aren't we? I was very yeah. impressed by the big one, but Stupid White Men as a thirteen-year-old. So uh, was that? That was like his memoir, right? Well, no, it was kind of like a book of of dumb essays about uh, America, right? Uh, and it really opened my eyes to the issues. I mean, did you know that Al Gore actually won the popular vote 
in Whoa. the 2004. I know. Whoa. I blew your mind, didn't I? <laughs> uh, and then Bowling for Columbine came out, which was a very big movie amongst precocious 14-year-olds. Mm. Uh, I'm sure you went to see that a lot in oh, school. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't think Michael Moore is somebody who has really held up for me over the years. No. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of what, what brings us here. So, you know, I guess our plan is over the next uh, few weeks, however many weeks it takes to do this, we're going to watch a Michael Moore film each week. We're starting, we're not, we're going to go chronologically, but we're starting with uh, Slacker Uprising, which is kind of, I guess, middle period Michael Moore. It's a film that is probably his least known movie, but which I think we feel really gets to the heart of a lot of the issues that we want to talk about with Michael Moore. Really sums up everything, well, I was going to say everything good and bad about him, but really it's just everything bad about him. Yeah. Like, we're basically just here to laugh at Michael Moore. (laughs) (laughs) To laugh, we're here for two reasons. We're here to A, laugh at an easy target because we're bullies, and B, we're here to get in on the ground floor of 2000s nostalgia. Yeah, that 2000s nostalgia is the new 90s nostalgia, kids. It's coming, so brace yourselves. Just in the past, like, two weeks, I've seen two think pieces about Paris Hilton and why she was good. So So it can only be a matter of time. (laughs) A storm is coming. (laughs) We're going to ride the crest of this wave. So yeah, the plan going forward is to uh, do a different Michael Moore film every week. And I guess next week we'll, we'll go back to the beginning with Roger and Me, which is a film that... Um, I think unlike a lot of the others we'll talk about uh, may actually hold up in some ways so it'll be interesting to, to see but you know you and I I feel like our, our bond such as it was uh, <laughs> was really cemented on the films of Michael Moore that's right yeah you and I we used to work at the U of T student newspaper mm-hmm. uh, and many of our early conversations were about Michael Moore and mm-hmm. after after editing the paper sometimes we went back to your place and watched a Michael Moore film uh, ironically at this point I should stress but I mean I think out of also some kind of genuine interest at these kind of movies that had been formative, you know, what were they going to be like now? I think Um, it's kind of hard. And this would have been about 2009 or mm -hmm. 10 or 11, Mm -hmm. which really wasn't even that long beyond uh, when Michael Moore was at his peak. But I think you do a lot of aging between high school and university. And also, I think Michael Moore... I mean, it's easy to forget just how huge Michael Moore was for a couple of months in 2004. Oh, yeah. It really seemed like he was making a difference. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, when you saw Fahrenheit 9-11, what, what did it feel like? Well, it really felt like... I, mean, I remember going to the theater with some friends, and I remember seeing, like, the local member of parliament in the theater and thinking that was a really big deal. Uh, it felt like a kind of a major cultural event. And, you know, the film had a a real kind of pretense to insurgency. It was like, you know, this is the film that's going to swing the election. This is the film that, you know, George Bush doesn't want you to see. (laughs) And uh, even though, you know, like almost all the footage that was used in it was pretty much just like news clips and things like that. I mean, with a few exceptions, um, it was, you know, it felt like kind of a really radical film, as did everything around Michael Moore. It felt kind of radical and... Um, and one reason for that was I think the state of radicalism was was pretty poor in 2004. Absolutely. And uh, I mean, I think that's a good moment to segue into talking about this film, Slacker Uprising. This is the first stop on a 60-city tour to the 20 battleground states. And we're going to sign up young people. We're going to go out and lead this revolt and get people out to vote. If you will do this, 
my Slacker friends. I will give you a full day's supply of the sustenance of Slackers everywhere. Ramen noodles! The Michigan Republican Party wants criminal charges filed against the Fahrenheit 9-11 filmmaker. Some Republicans say that his get-out-the-vote stunts amount to bribery. Last week, Kay Anderson offered $25,000 of his own money if they'd cancel Michael Moore's speech. Here is how big Michael Moore was in 2004. After Fahrenheit 9-11 came out and became the first documentary to make over $100 million, uh, he briefly was enough of a superstar to go around the country, do a tour, and fill stadiums. In more than 60 cities. Actual stadiums for what he called the Slacker Uprising Tour. Uh, where his whole deal was he was going to motivate college students to vote on election day, preferably to vote against Bush. But I don't think he actually endorsed John Kerry. I'm not sure he says John Kerry a single time in the film. Right. Some other people in the movie do, but not him. Uh, For the movie, he got a camera crew to follow him around for, I think, what he thought was going to be this triumphant tour of America that was going to show how he single-handedly swung the election, swung a close election for John Kerry's favor. And then, you know, the year after 2004, he was going to put this out in theaters and and history would remember his name as being the kingmaker. And it didn't work out that way. So instead, he sat on the footage for four years and released it on the internet as a free movie just a few weeks before the election of Barack Obama in 2008. Um, and so the the conceit of this film is that, you know, he's gonna, I mean, for the for the, about the first half an hour of the film anyway, it, it really beats you over the head with this idea of the slacker uprising, that he's targeting uh, the 50% or near 50% who don't vote. Um, and he takes this conceit pretty far to the point where he's actually hurling ramen noodles, which are meant to represent, you know, the the fare of the of the of the slacker. He hurls these and also men's underwear for some reason. Well, the whole idea is, is like if, if you vote, I will give you this. If you promise to vote, I'll give you these ramen noodles because you're a slacker, right? Uh, <laughs> which is such a is. it's a pretty thin concept, um, which may explain why it sort of suddenly disappears like half an hour into the. Into the film. Right. Michael Moore's whole deal is that he's like a man of the people. Right. Uh, he doesn't. In fact, somebody in this movie even says uh, the reason the Republican elites are so afraid of Michael Moore is that unlike others, he talks in language that people understand. He doesn't speak in theoretical concepts. That, that's what, so that's yeah. actually verbatim what the guy says. Which is objectively true. Yeah. I, I think. <laughs> um, and But like all great satirists uh michael moore uses in the early scenes it's non-stop laughs and fun and comedy him giving ramen noodles to the crowd but he sort of eases you into the film uh and then and then so that you'll be more receptive he thinks to the more serious dramatic message that he has on offer. that's right and and um yeah so the film starts out really silly and um i mean it's true that it does kind of shift tonally after the first half an hour but basically this film is a repetitive series of like these vignettes where it's just michael moore will be in a city and he'll be like hello tallahassee (laughs) and then you know he'll give a speech which kind of oscillates between um his kind of um withering earnestness his kind of withering blue collar earnestness and his kind of uh jokey ironic 
humor. Uh, nowhere is that more the case than in one scene where he plays fake attack ads against John oh Kerry that this his campaign is one made. of the I think one of the worst things I've ever seen. Yeah. It, it's like the the proto Borowitz. Yeah. Yeah, it is almost sub Borowitz. I mean what was that what was the last um okay, so attack he, he, ad? He does like, these campaign ads which as he said uh he made on his Macintosh. Right. And which look at I mean they <laughs> they are garbage. Yeah. The conceit is he's made these attack ads for the Bush campaign, so it shows... He's like, this is our gift to the Republicans. Yeah, just watch. Yeah. <laughs> and he, he shows a, a graveyard, says something like, 50,000 veterans died during the Vietnam War, but John Kerry wasn't one of them. Uh, you know. Uh... <laughs> and it, and it, kind of, it kind of goes on and on like that, and... What happens in the last one? Because the, la- the last one's the, like, the la- John Kerry uh, used to drive a Ford, and then it's like, now he drives uh, uh, something else, and now he rides a bike. Yeah. Uh, is this the indecision we can yeah, accept from I a mean, leader? Yeah, I it's, mean, it's, it's pathetic. It's kind of thing like you might give like a B plus to if like a high school student submitted it for an English project. Yeah, or if your high school newspaper had that as the editorial cartoon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and what I love about that is so he plays he plays these fake campaign commercials and he keeps cutting to people in the audience like busting a fucking gut yeah. over, over these ads. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it comes back to Michael Moore on the stage. And he laughs, and then it's like, oh, but seriously, folks, uh, this election is being fought over some uh, some real issues, mm. and uh... and he ri- and he rarely sort of tells us what those are. I mean, I think the thing that's so amazing about this film and why we chose to do it first is that you know this so-called slacker uprising is something that has all the pretense um, of being a social movement without any of the content of a social movement. So. You know, here's Michael Moore going around the country in the context of this election, um, which is an election between two candidates, one of whom he openly opposes, the other of whom he he didn't bring himself to actually endorse until two days before the election. You know, he's kind of touring the country as this, like, dissident radical, <laughs> and the content of his, like, so-called movement is telling people to vote without actually <laughs> specifying how they're supposed to vote or why there are precious few moments in this film where something kind of vaguely political, you know, creeps out. There's a scene where he's chewing out the media for, for misrepresenting uh, the Iraq war to the American people, uh, which is a pretty excruciating (laughs) scene. You know, there, there is a, a scene where he makes some references to like the Bible and how much it talks about the poor, but it's not like, most of these rallies look like, you know, I was saying when we were watching the film and there was, um, you know, some nameless like singer songwriter who starts playing like this Cat Stevens song. Um, and it's like, if I was a, a conservative doing a caricature of what like, like a bleeding heart liberal election rally was like, this is what I do. It's just like. These songs that are kind of vaguely uplifting. The Joan Baez one is just oh, like... Oh, Joan unreal. Baez is in this She's movie. She's in it. We'll so, get to the celebrity appearances in a minute. But <laughs> So, you know, it's like these these frequent scenes of these, like, liberals basically singing Kumbaya and sort of holding hands. <laughs> like, not about anything in particular. <laughs> They're just kind of like, you know... Well, every now and then, one of the guests will come on stage and they'll say something like... Uh, we want to fight to end the war and we want to fight uh, for for social justice and equality for women and equality for gay people. And you're like, oh, yeah, I, I mean, like, right, those are like those, issues. Those are that... the, but this is the first time we've heard of that. Yeah. Like, what, <laughs> yeah. what, what, what is this all? Yeah, the, the, it, it's a 
I mean, Michael Moore at various times in this movie says that they're leading a movement. And yeah. then he says, and remember, this movement doesn't end on November 2nd. It continues on November 3rd and November 4th. It's like, what is the the, the movement is um, end the war mm-hmm. and vote. Right. And, and I think like, so I mean, um, those... And then just sort of like amorphous, like Some left. amorphous protest that's not very organized or programmatic or anything else. Yeah, I mean, so of those two objectives, I mean, you know, telling people to vote, sure, but I mean, it's hardly like a radical ob- objective. It's like you should be telling people to vote for something. You know, end the war. I mean, Michael Moore's posturing in this uh, so-called slacker uprising is pretty amazing because here he is sort of effectively doing a kind of um, like shadow kind of get out the vote campaign for Carrie Edwards, but he can't bring himself to endorse them. And, you know, Carrie... Uh, wasn't explicitly against the war anyway, voted for it. You know, it's like said, said, I mean, there's actually a clip in the movie, which more so to his credit, he shows us the clip where, you know, Carrie is asked about, even if you'd known, you know, that the weapons of mass destruction in Iraq were a lie, would you vote for the war? And Carrie said yes. But so, you know, Michael Moore doesn't seem unaware that Carrie is like a problematic candidate. And so he doesn't endorse him, but then he's basically running a get out the vote campaign. Right. Um, I mean, if it were more effective, he might run he might run a movement that was along the lines of, yes, vote against Bush, but also mm-hmm. All here, these here are things. our objectives. Yeah, I mean, I would have a lot more respect for it if he was kind of like, the most important thing now is to get rid of Bush, then put pressure on a Kerry administration to end the war and then to keep the movement going so we can win, you know, universal health care, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. But he doesn't posture that way. Um, and so much of the film, um, I mean, I, I, I seem to recall at the time, you know, Moore had a reputation among conservatives as kind of like this egomaniac who is, you know, obsessed with himself. And mm-hmm. it's kind of hard not to, you know, <laughs> think that a little bit when you're watching this movie because... Um, well, the whole, I mean, as you say, it has no political content. The whole movie, I mean... It, it has about 50 scenes of him just getting up on a stage and going, hello, Tallahassee. <laughs> and then sort of, yeah. Make, like he's a rock star. Yeah. And making a few kind of vague appeals to something or other. And then, and then, you know, that, you know, his appearances on stage are kind of punctuated by like various, like, as it seems pretty pathetic attempts by sort of like, the local like county Republican Party or some like some lo- local businessman or whatever to like get his rallies canceled. on their on their side we've just got ben affleck i mean you know and again he plays all these clips of like um really low information bush voters being like you know yeah michael moore's a liar and like bush is god's candidate and we don't want to go against god and whatever just really low-hanging fruit none of whom come across as any smarter than no. the michael moore fans that we see no although like i think i do think in the beginning of the film there were a few interviews with people who you know i kind of think have more dignity than Michael Moore does and and who just (laughs) kind of sound like there are a few people who appear in this film who do kind of look like 
they're genuinely desperate and they're just looking for like what is the most constructive thing they can do now which is i think one of the things that's most frustrating about this film is that it takes us back to a time when this was you know this was considered the best kind of the the the, the mainstream left of politics could really offer right. anybody and the, the general kind of consensus about Michael Moore at the time was, well, the right has Rush Limbaugh and Ann mm. Coulter and all those people. And isn't it nice that the left has at least one guy, even if we uh, disagree with some of his methods or whatever. And then what was that stupid um, like Al Franken thing that they tried to oh, make out? Air America? Air America, which oh of course takes. So that was like, that was sort of like the DNC's attempt to, to engineer some, you know, right wing like talk radio for like the hack center left or whatever um <laughs> and i sort of feel like michael moore's politics grafted on to, to to things like that um what's funny about air america and the slacker uprising tour is basically the best that the left could have hoped for in the mainstream at this time was to kind of make this pitiful attempt to co-op some of the right's talking points or just work within the framework that the right had offered up. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's what Kerry's campaign was about. So in this movie, you see... Um, There's a lot of veterans and things like right, that. Right, we see a lot of veterans in the audience, and we see a lot of the grieving parents of people who died in Iraq. Um, and Michael Moore will say things like, first of all, I want to thank you for, for offering up the ultimate sacrifice... And isn't it a shame? Mm -hmm. Isn't it a shame that we have a president who would mm -hmm. send you over there? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, unlike, unlike, we're the ones who support the troops, yeah. you know? Yeah. Because we don't send them to die on... Mm -hmm. There's there's one scene where, where he asks um, members of, or like current or former members of the U.S. military in the audience to, to stand up. And then he gets like 15,000 people, yeah, 15,000 <laughs> people to applaud them. And he just screams from the stage... Thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> um, and it's yeah, I mean, so it's it's um, it's ostensibly like an oppositional movement to this kind of hyper nationalist right wing president that effectively like deploys all of the idioms that you know you would have seen at a Bush rally. I mean, there's another scene. There's a few scenes where you know Michael Moore is fun. Michael Moore is you know often the kind of film equivalent of like. You know, one of those um, famous people on Twitter that retweets all of the like nasty things that get said about them in, in order to kind of like stroke their own ego. And so this film, like, you know, like I said, features kind of um, a number of scenes where people disrupt these rallies, people with Bush Cheney signs or whatever. Uh -huh. And there's one scene where there's, I guess, some like Pentecostals and they start singing a prayer. And, and, you know, Moore does this whole thing where he starts talking about how you like we're the real quit Christians and. <laughs> You know, his kind of his kind of ultimate own of them is like, you know, uh, what would Jesus bomb or whatever? And then everyone in Everested. Yeah. <laughs> shut down. Um, and, you know, everybody in the everyone in the theater just goes nuts like, oh, my God, I can't believe he thought of that. And then the what camera cuts retort. to these camera cuts to these protesters <laughs> and they're pouting like like their Dr. Claw and Inspector Gadget <laughs> has just spoiled their plot. <laughs> yeah, this, like, I mean, I, you know, so in addition to kind of having no politics where the film does kind of use actual political rhetoric, it's rhetoric that's kind of like often indistinguishable from stuff you might hear. It's like wrapped in the flag kind of nationalist rhetoric and it has no kind of program or goal except for like getting bush out of office mm -hmm. which it won't even back up by saying vote for carrie edwards it's incapable of even doing that so like a central to michael moore's whole career and his whole political philosophy 
on the right, they think he's some radical leftist, but he really is a pragmatist. I mean, whenever he's had to defend his use of comedy in documentaries, he he says things like, "Oh well, you know, you couldn't you couldn't get people out for us for a really serious film about." unemployed auto workers in flint you have to meet them on their own terms right um and this slacker uprising is kind of like a a more cynical extension of that idea where it's like well what we've discovered uh after so many years of republican presidents is america can't take real leftism we've (laughs) got to give them this kind of uh watered down centrism yeah but then again i don't know He's pragmatic, but on the other sense, I think he actually believes this because he is one of those people who believes, well, actually, we all really think the same thing. Right. And it's these it's these elites or it's right. these these petty differences right. or 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 the fact that uh, the media isn't reporting the right information. Right. That's what's uh, keeping us from right. joining hands and singing Kumbaya. And, and that, I think, actually, to me, speaks to, um, you know, this same issue of kind of like a lot of Michael Moore's idioms are similar to ones you find on the right. Because, like, if you, if you like, you know, if you'd been reading, like, the right-wing press um, or watching right-wing news or listening to talk radio in 2004, I mean, the caricature of, like, Michael Moore and his supporters and of kind of the anti-war movement was that this is this, like, minority of people that just, like, they hate the country and there's a real America um, that's that these people are trying to face. The true majority are, like... You know, these red-blooded, you know, hard-working folks and they love God and they love the president and whatever. Michael, A lot of Michael Moore's rhetoric is, I would say, at least, like, semantically similar to that. Like, he's unwilling to embrace, in many ways, like, genuine division. Like, he, mm-hmm. he, likes, to, he likes to attack the media in this kind of very vague way. Um, but yeah, he does sort of cleave to this, our differences are minor, like, the, you know, there's a, there's a real majority of kind of true Americans, etc., etc. Uh, so what happened after this, Luke? I mean, you know, George Bush, uh, George Bush, of course, was, so, so yeah, George was, Bush. was defeated in the election by the, in the largest landslide in history. And, um, uh, John, Michael... John, John Kerry, um, immediately withdrew the troops from, from Iraq. Um, and, uh, Michael Moore won the, uh, medal of arts or that's right. The, got the Kennedy center honors the next year. He was appointed the first ever, uh, minister for peace. Um, <laughs> and, uh, uh, Americans got uh, the greatest healthcare system in the world. Oh, wait a minute. Before, uh, <laughs> before we go any further, uh, we have to talk about the celebrities who make their way through oh, this course. film. Slack How could we forget? So, I mean, the, the biggest get is Joan Baez, who when she shows up, I mean, I think, I think we were both shocked to see her. Yeah. Um, and you'd seen this film before. Well, we'd both seen it, you more than me. But I definitely forgot about her appearance, and I certainly did not remember yeah. it being so excruciating. So, I mean, this is, I mean, one of the things that's kind of pathetic about this movie is the way that, it, and this whole, this whole quote movement, unquote, <laughs> is the way that it kind of co-ops some of the iconography or the rhetoric of 60s, 70s anti-Vietnam protests, mm-hmm. but in this formless... Uh, it's, it's just sort of formless nostalgia, <laughs> like, the film has all these... Um, appeals to like, yeah, anti-Vietnam stuff. Um, the massacre at Kent State. Um, we see Michael Moore like touring Kent State, right? Uh, uh, yeah, the Selma March, other things, and and um, yeah, I mean the Kent State scene in particular just kind of underscores this point, like because you know as you're saying, like so much of this stuff it seems to rest on this kind of vague, sort of appropriated, like it, it imagines itself in the lineage of like this moment of like pretty general like pretty real rather american radicalism 
Um, so we see poor sweet Joan Baez show up. Yeah. Uh, who we see her being interviewed and she says something along the lines of, well, people often ask me, where where are the songs? You mm. know, where are the protests? And she's songs? like, first of all, they're, they're, the songs are getting written. Right. She's like, second, there's no Dylan. But th- we do have Michael we Moore. We do have Michael Moore. And to, to see Joan Baez, <laughs> like the folk goddess. Remember when Michael Moore wrote, uh, wrote Blowing in the Wind <laughs> and Masters of War? Uh, I mean, he did write to uh, downsize this, which is uh, a work of art. That's the uh, that's the uh, hard rain's gonna fall of our time. Yeah. Uh, so she she goes on stage at this rally with Michael Moore, and oh, like I, I, it gives me no pleasure to no. to to say this, but she sings uh, the 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 Finnish national the Finnish anthem. national anthem in English for no reason that we can decipher because except that it has some kind of vague message about peace and brotherhood or something mm-hmm. and and what's really embarrassing about it is she doesn't have a guitar or any it's a cappella yeah and you know god love her she's got a great voice mm-hmm. but uh i don't know it's a little embarrassing. It's, it's unclear, yeah, like, what the song is about or why it matters in this context. And that's true of, like, a lot of the celebrities appear, play music, and they play these songs that are just like, what the hell is this? What does it have to do with anything? So probably the best one being um, the song Al Gore Lives on My Street. Oh, my God. So some some <laughs> no-name loser show, does, does it really. He talks about how Al Gore actually lives on his street. And how he thinks this is amazing because, guys, didn't you realize this? George Bush lost the popular vote. Uh, so he, he plays this song. Al Gore lives on my street, lives down the street from me. Uh, and and he, the song goes on to be about how, you know, I remember how some asshole stole a job from me or stole my bike. Or... Yeah, things that things that rhyme. Um, and uh, and then at the and then in the, by the final verse, he's just singing like. President Gore, and everybody's cheering. And everybody's yeah. like, "Yeah, president, president!" Oh, what a what a Shangri-La that would have been. President Gore. There is nothing sexier. I mean, can you imagine? <laughs> Again, it, it's a song that has no ideas in it. No. There's nothing in there about, like, what would the Gore presidency have actually been. It sounds uh, like a novelty song. And even the songs that don't sound like a novelty song. So, I mean, like, there's a guy that plays the Cat Stevens song, Don't Be Shy. And, I mean, I was sure he was going to play Peace Train, which, I mean, is kind of a vague song, but, like, it does have, like, a message of mm-hmm. some kind. And it's like, he can't even play the Cat Stevens song that would be, like remotely relevant and he plays it's like what is the message like don't be shy like what what does that mean in this in this context uh-huh. um uh, Viggo Mortensen shows up uh REM yeah uh Viggo Mortensen who you you know you expect like the king of middle earth to be uh, a little more charismatic than he is he's like a wet blanket up he, there he's kind of like mumbling from a sheet of paper mm. uh, he's got a shirt on that says vote yeah uh, just as Paris Hilton did on that <laughs> iconic vote or die ad you uh, and all, so yeah REM and uh, Roseanne Barr who, who gives uh, a really eccentric performance um, yeah Michael Moore introduces her as America's top comedian um, which again shows how far we've come <laughs> sorry that's mean uh, cheap shot Will yeah. um, her sitcom was wonderful 
<laughs> yeah. So yeah, there's all this. Yeah, there's all this music which you know suffers from the same um, the same issues that we were talking about before. And I think um, j- just to go back to the Kent State thing for 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 a minute, like I think the Kent State scene for me is kind of like underscores kind of what a stupid movie this is <laughs> and what a like and what a trite like politics it's capturing because you know you know he references Selma at one point in the movie you know he goes to Kent State um you know and all it does is sort of underscore that you know what he's kind of riding on and what he keeps appealing to was a genuine moment of like genuine kind of political ferment in the United States there was real radicalism Kent State is a moment where um, the National Guard was called in because, like, that's how afraid state power in the U.S. was of, like, the anti-war movement. Students were organized. Um, There was a lot of, uh, like, there was a lot of genuine radicalism. And then fast forward to 2004, here's this, like, dopey filmmaker (laughs) and, like, you know, he the you know you don't see the National Guard getting deployed against Michael Moore. You have some like idiot local businessman who's like, I will pay this like multi billion dollar university twenty thousand dollars if if like you cancel Michael Moore's speech or whatever. You know, Michael Moore's anti war rhetoric has no kind of like you know if, if you compare it to like anti Vietnam stuff, which was like. You know, I mean, like the pat- one of the patron saints of the anti-Vietnam war- movement, right, was Noam Chomsky, who's a critic. Never of, like, heard of him. Uh, <laughs> you know, well, uh, yeah, this is why you know you're the you're the you're, I'm, you're the blue collar guy I, I on can. the show, and I'm the. <laughs> I can't. We're having him next week as a guest host. Uh. <laughs> um, yeah, he'll be sitting in for me next week. Um, but um, yeah, and you know, it's it's like Noam Chomsky, right, is like an outspoken critic of capitalism and empire. And then fast forward to two thousand and four, and you've got you know Michael Moore. <laughs> it's just, it's just pretty this, amazing. Like it, 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 it sort of cheapens, I think, the sight of Kent State to see Michael Moore in his ball cap and jeans, yeah, like <laughs> wandering around the grounds. Oh my God! There's there's also there's a scene that is, I think, one of the most horrifying scenes I've ever seen in a movie where. Where somebody at one of his rallies gives him his grandfather's war medal, his bronze star. He he says, "I this is my grandfather's bronze bronze star. It has his name on the back. I want you deserve to have it." And like my skin, and it's, it's and, awful. My, and Michael Moore is kind of like, uh, I don't I don't know if I want to take that. Well, well, uh, all right, okay, yeah. yeah. Like he he get he gets no pleasure. I'm sure it's like in a box in a storage unit in Michigan right now. Uh. Uh, Michael Moore, first of all, doesn't let the guy come back from the barricade to at least, you know, yeah. take a picture with them. He or... asks him a couple questions like, you know, what was his name or whatever. And the guy's like, oh, his name was is on the back and whatever. And he just keeps repeating, like, I want you to have this. And and you... secondly, he includes the scene in the, his movie, yeah. which is unbelievable <laughs> yeah. that you would show this <laughs> which, encountered other Which, people. again, kind of speaks to, like, the inescapable fact that, like, this film basically doesn't need to exist and is kind <laughs> of, like, about Michael Moore's ego. Well, so the... And, mo- and don't worry, folks, we're going to be a little nicer to him in other weeks, but this is the this is the cold open. Yeah, you know? we, we want to get some of our objections out there at the beginning. So, so Michael, I know you're listening. I know you searched your name on Twitter. And if you want to be on the show after Chomsky, then... Oh, God! Yeah. Michael Moore, if you're listening to us right now, we will have you as a guest and we will kiss your ass <laughs> like you wouldn't believe. I have well, no, speak for yourself. I'm a man with no principle. <laughs> I am such a star fucker. If you come on, that would be great. Uh, but yeah, so the movie ends. Um, so it ends. It with, ends abruptly. It ends abruptly, as it should. Um, 
we've seen him do a rally in Tallahass- Tallahassee, and the film is building like it's this crescendo to like the polls seem to be uh, worsening for President Bush, and there's all these this all this kind of drama and then uh and there's you know quick uh eisenstinian montages <laughs> going back and forth between these rallies michael moore is the was also you know uh he was a keen like soviet realist uh, <laughs> yeah in his and filmmaking style you see michael moore like hanging around dancing at the rallies you know get out to vote get out to vote he's, a, he's having a good time uh and you think oh man we're, we're gonna and, take it we're and taking at the, our at, country at the back. final rally uh there's like this chant that kind of is like almost ironic where they're just like one more day one more day because that's how long it is until the polls close because just, what you know what i love is ironic politics like that that's, <laughs> nothing, nothing is more effective right that's why like borowitz makes like the republicans tremble what, in their yeah, in their boots that's why the rally to restore sanity really turned things around for obama <laughs> um yeah, so, i love so, the i love the idea that they're like their battle cry a day before the election <laughs> is just is just like Here's how much time is left until the election. It's not even like down with Bush yeah. or whatever. <laughs> so, or no more war. Yeah. No more war. Something. <laughs> so the movie ends with a caption that informs us that in fact John Kerry won Tallahassee. Mm-hmm. So thank Tallahassee so, and all of its zero electoral votes. Yeah. So you're welcome, Mr. <laughs> Kerry. Uh, and then it says, and then it says not only that, but uh, it says Kerry won the youth vote. Mm-hmm. Uh, but sadly, their parents voted for Bush. However, uh, the Republicans know how close they came to losing this, and they're not going to be so lucky next time because <laughs> we've seen the birth of a whole new political generation. Right, which is why, like, here we are in uh, 2016, and the slacker uprising continues <laughs> apace. Yeah, it's like it's like kind of this movie is like the end of Les Miserables, where all, all the revolutionaries are are at the barricades. It's like you know we may die now, but the, resi- the resistance lives, lives on. on. Yeah, um, and yeah. and you know I think he's uh, not so subtly taking credit for the rise of Obama, saying yeah. that you know he he warmed he warmed the generation up for him, and mm-hmm. uh, they yeah and, mm-hmm. and our our savior yeah. So, the day. so I think like, you know, we mentioned it in the, in the introduction, like one of the reasons we're doing this podcast now is because, um, you know, in addition to cashing in on the, uh, forthcoming wave of, of early 2000s nostalgia, you know, there is a presidential election on right now. And like U.S. politics has really come a long way since this. Um, and we're actually now in a moment where, um, there, like act actually is uh, a politically mobilized generation of younger voters for david french <laughs> for for uh david french uh bill crystal's uh star candidate man we better get this podcast out really quick before that reference dates horribly <laughs> I, I have a feeling like it's going to be sort of dated within like 72 hours so we better get on it um but yeah david french who uh who has cut his teeth at the National Review writing uh, conservative hot takes about, like, Game of Thrones. And <laughs> but no, of course we talk about Hillary Clinton. I'm with her. Now, so you're, you're I think, a, a Bernie bro. I think it's fair to say. Yeah, I mean, uh, card, card carrying. You're, you're one of those little egg avatars on Twitter who... That's right, who just claims. harasses people. Yeah. Yeah, and like, um, you know, I would describe my politics as being, you know, um, not left wing, but just just white and male. Um, right. So it, it, so it's never Hillary. You're gonna you'll be on the Trump train. I think pretty pretty, pretty, pretty soon. soon. Yeah, pretty soon. Um, so, you know, uh, switching back to uh, uh, non irony for a second. Um, you know, everything that Michael Moore is kind of pretending in this film, everything that he's gesturing towards and, and posturing about, 
is sort of basically like actually happening now. And it's really amazing to contrast. So, you know, Michael Moore, you know, like you were saying, you know, his whole shtick was that like, he's a populist and he doesn't use the language of the elites and he speaks to like ordinary people or whatever, but he doesn't do that around issues. Like this is a movement, as we've been saying, like, you know, for the last 40 minutes or whatever, this is a movement that kind of has no issues. And, you know, what Sanders has done is, you know, mobilize all these people across uh, demographic lines um, and, you know, across class lines and others around, I would say, a, a very kind of a clear and kind of concise diagnosis about uh, what's wrong in the United States, but also uh, uniting people around all these specific issues, all these campaigns that have sprung up since Michael Moore made this this toothless, stupid movie. Um, you know, there have been all these kind of disparate social movements in the United States the uh, the anti-war movement or what what was the real anti-war movement not what's on display in, in Slacker Uprising you know the uh, you know Occupy Wall Street the Fight for Fifteen campaign Black Lives Matter all these different things are coming together in the immigration rights um, migrants rights campaign all these all these kind of things so I think like it's amazing to look back at this kind of fake populism of of, of twelve years ago and compare it to what's going on now and it's a real it's a real time capsule this film. Yeah, I mean, I think you're forgetting the Ron Paul revolution from a few years ago. Uh, I think he brought a real broad base. Uh, it kind of, kind of showed that there was a different way in the Republican Party, you know? We didn't have to follow the elites. No, we could we could, uh, we could privatize Social Security and like, smoke a lot of weed while we were doing it. It's all about the gold standard, you know? Yeah. When the economy comes crashing down, the one thing that never depreciates in value is gold. <laughs> Man, whatever happened to that? I mean, it's a slight well, digression, but, you know. I mean, I think Rand Paul picked up the torch pretty capably. <laughs> I mean, I'm... I'm Republican a, nominee, presumptive, I mean, Rand it's Paul. a little embarrassing. Now, now that he didn't uh, get the nomination, I've been having a trouble getting my I Stand with Rand bumper sticker off my Toyota. <laughs> um, <laughs> but what do you attribute this change in the political landscape to? I'm, I'm hesitant to kind of use... Um, to be, like, too deterministic about this, but, like... Because um, I don't like sort of demographic determinism for thinking about politics. But I think one of the things that's striking about Slacker Uprising is like, Michael Moore talks a lot about younger voters. You don't see a lot of them at these things, right? I mean, you, see, you see a few. I mean, a handful. Yeah. But I mean, I would say the average age of people in the crowd, like, tilts older. So I think, and that explains kind of a lot of like, these are people whose formative political years probably would have been during like the 60s or the 70s. So, you know, that's why the film kind of um, uses a lot of the rhetorical tropes that it does. But I mean, I think like now you have a generation of people that's grown up as a really different kind of lived experience of, you know, what it's like to be in the United States, what it's like to be working class or middle class or try to be middle class. And um, I think that's made a big difference to what people are open to. And I think um, the Obama administration and its, you know, its failures or its perceived failures are, are contributing a lot to this as well. Because I was in first year university, Will was probably in second year university, that, that's right? That's right. You know, you were in second year university when, in 2008, when Obama got elected. And I mean, I remember the night very well. I remember people kind of streaming into the quad with tears in their eyes and embracing and stuff. And, you know, it's like, we're in Canada. Like, I can only imagine what it would have been like to, like, mm. to be in the United States for that. And, you know, that was a moment where, you know, for a lot of people, it was like, okay, you know, we grew up with Bush, and now finally, you know, uh, this is going to be this, like, hyper-liberal presidency or whatever. And, I mean, I think kind of after eight years of it, inequality in the United States has gotten a lot worse. Um, you know, the influence of money in politics has gotten a lot worse. 
you know, people are freaking out about, like, Trump's mass deportation plans, but, like, something like three million people have been deported by, by the Obama administration or under the Obama administration. There's, like, an extensive, you know, uh, drone campaign that's being waged. You know, just a lot of the things that Ugh. people sort of, I mean, I know we're, really bringing me we're getting into that. We're getting, into, sorry, the, we're so getting into the heavy uh, part of the podcast I'm just here. so sad. Um, <laughs> uh, like, a, like Slacker Uprising, the podcast is going to oscillate, you know, hard between... Different, uh, different. You know, Michael emotions. Moore was right when he said that the movement would have to continue on November third. Uh. <laughs> so you, you know, um, I read somewhere that you know a huge number of the organizers of Occupy Wall Street had been Obama voters, right? I uh-huh. mean, like, um, I think a lot of people voted Obama Biden because they, you know, they genuinely thought um, that this was going to be, you know, a, a realigning kind of moment in the United States, and. Um, since 2008, I mean, the Democrats have won two presidential elections, but they've been wiped out. Um, I mean, they've lost around 900 seats at the state level. They've lost something like 12 governorships. They've lost nearly 70 seats in Congress. They, um, for, for all the kind of talk about, like, you know, the, the implosion of the Republican Party around Trump, in, like, down-ticket races and stuff, the Republicans have been doing really, really well. And if, if it wasn't for Trump... Uh, I read, you know, in a Matt Taibbi column recently, like, if it wasn't for Trump, he pointed out, the Republicans are, like, are, are actually in pretty good shape. Um, mm. And that's after, you know, eight years of what was supposed to be this kind of realigning moment. Um, and, and, you know, wh- whose big promise was, like, we're going to deliver universal health care. This was the big goal, you know, and, we're, of course, we're going to talk about Michael Moore's great film, Sicko, uh, on another occasion. Uh, I'm, really, um, I'm really not looking That's the one you're looking forward that. to the least, yeah. eh? Um, <laughs> um, but, you know, so I think, like, people people um, thought, okay, like, we've finally done this, and, like, the fact that Obama, with control of, like, both houses, could not get a piece of legislation through that, like, just mirrors what, like, most... De- developed like democratic country like liberal democratic countries like have you know some kind of u- system of universal health care it's like if that won't convince you that there needs to be some kind of like radical break um there needs to be some kind of moment of like rupture like then i like i don't think anything will and so i think that's what's motivating a lot of these younger voters who who i mean love sanders in, and when i say younger voters i mean it's you know, it's people, I mean, the most enthusiastic people are people younger than us. Mm -hmm. I mean, but I mean, he's winning in most places, you know, uh, voters under 45, like overwhelmingly. Right. That's because they haven't grown up and figured out that it's impossible. And they (laughs) haven't had the life. As Winston Churchill said, if you're not liberal, when you're 25, you have no heart. And if you're not conservative, when you're 45, you have no brain. I I think it's true. (laughs) I mean, that's what's, uh, I think, motivating me to do this podcast, because I liked Michael Moore as a kid. And now I'm kind of a hardline fiscal and social conservative <laughs> so i'd kind of like to debunk him you know I, i'd like to do a real morewatch.com on him um, and in future weeks i mean speaking of morewatch.com like you know our hope is to um is to kind of like not just do the uh the michael moore canon but but eventually reach out in kind of the michael moore extended universe right so like documentaries <laughs> like michael moore hates america great film fahrenheit 911 i've that, never seen that one there was this whole wave of anti-michael moore mm-hmm. documentaries that came out in 2004 because conservatives took him way too seriously as a threat and uh, they made all this like i remember um was it Fahrenheit 9-11 that was just like a supposed to be sort of like a shot-by-shot debunking of Fahrenheit 9-11? Yeah, I mean, I never saw it. I right. think we'll, we'll find out. Oh, man, I'm so excited. Uh, and we're, we'll definitely watch uh, An American Carol. Oh, I've never seen it. it. It was the anti-Michael Moore comedy made by 
one of the Zucker brothers who was a 9-11 Republican. Uh, so it stars Chris Farley's brother as a slovenly Michael Moore-like filmmaker who who learns, oh who over the course of the movie learns uh, that the Iraq war was justified. And it's got a bunch of the right-wing celebrities, right? Like, isn't like Kelsey Grammer, like James Woods, yeah. probably. John Voight is in it. John Voight. Uh, also, Leslie Nielsen, who I believe was oh, actually wow. a Democrat, huh. but... Uh, clearly liked the work oh wow leslie say it ain't so yeah. um, um <laughs> i i just like to close by talking a little bit about uh the idiom of the slacker as a self-described slacker i know you identify as that too for sure was it inspiring to see yourself reflected in a film yeah i mean like i think um you know i've grown up with like people making these really like overly kind of scholastic films that like aren't for me um you know i'm a guy who you know i enjoy like i enjoy like the odd bowl of ramen noodles and and sitting on the couch, and and it's just nice to see that reflected. And I like to film. not think when I think about <laughs> politics. I like it. <laughs> so so this was great. I like a few laughs, you know. As we know, non-slackers control so much of the media and control so many of the revenue streams. They're the ones making the decisions at you know the the top level. Our stories don't get told mm-hmm. in film. Mm-hmm. So so that's why we're doing the this uh, slacker podcast to. Yeah. Uh, you know, just a, a few weeks ago, I think uh, around the time of the Michigan primary, in fact, I think at almost every primary, so Michael Moore, to his credit, has been stumping pretty hard for Bernie. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, you would think a pragmatist like him would go for Hillary, but but no. He would say things on Twitter like, my fellow slackers of Michigan, uh, be God. sure to get out to vote. It's easy and you can wear your pajamas to the polls. And I mean, it's it's really like that that gif you see of Steve Buscemi as a teenager. Hello, fellow teenagers, <laughs> fellow dudes, or whatever uh, it is. I yeah. mean, it's like ugh. or like that that thing from The Simpsons where Mr. Burns dresses up as Jimbo. Yeah, I mean, it's like yeah. he, uh, one thing that slackers love is a sixty-year-old documentary filmmaker. So, uh, what are we gonna do next time? Well, so I guess um, since we're going chronologically, we'll do Roger and me. And so hopefully our discussion around that will be, you know, I feel like we've been beating up on Michael pretty hard, which, you know, in this podcast, which I mean, is kind of the point. But, um, you know, Roger and me is a film that you and I watched, I think, within the last two years and which we actually received reasonably well. I recall. Yeah, we liked it. So, so um, we I actually like I would say that I like more Michael Moore movies than I don't like, although that theory might be put to the test. Yeah, I think that's going to be tested in the next few weeks. I mean, because um, I don't think I would be willing to make that statement because, I mean, apart from Roger and me, I can't really think of one. I think I like. I like Capitalism, A Love Story. I think okay. I like I did like that. I one think my thumb would be up on Sicko, but right. uh, yeah, I, don't I don't know. know. Well, uh, I guess thanks for listening and uh, tune in next time to find out. My name was Will Sloan. And my name is Luke Savage. See you next time.